Hello everyone and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and a couple of weeks ago I packed up my meagre belongings into a suitcase and headed to MSA to record as many podcasts as possible. I managed to sit down with TJ from Olens to talk about life at the Swedish brand, how mountain bike differs from motocross and where the sport could be going. I hope you enjoy it. TJ, thank you very much for coming on the Pink Bike Podcast. Um, so for those of you that don't know, well, in fact, can you explain in your own words what it is you do for Olens? Because I see all the races. You were really important in terms of helping support Pink Bike Racing last year. But at the same time, you're kind of more behind the scenes than some other people. Can you just explain what you do? Yeah, I will try. Uh, in my position, I have many different hats, but my main title is Mountain Bike Racing Manager. And I, plus, I also have some sort of performance role manager at Lins, making sure that the products that we're releasing are up to speed and on point and have the lean standard to it. But I, most likely, I can say I'm running the daily business when it comes to all racing. We have a director, Torkel, which is my closest boss, but he's more of on a director level, of course, but I'm running the daily business, having all the contacts with the teams, organizing the technician, so he's on point when he's going to the races and so on as well, which is new to us for this year, which is great, a great asset. So basically dealing with all the daily racing business as far as parts, I have a great engineering team back home that I can rely on for a lot of those things as well and so on. But yeah, making sure is sort of this spider in the net kind of thing. So It feels like when Olin's came into mountain biking, maybe, I suppose, 2017, 2018? 2017 was 2017. our first re- uh, year of racing. We released the first product, which was the TTX 22M in 2013. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking more like so, forks in my, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like straight away you had a a kind of different strategy in that instead of trying to cover off a lot of teams or maybe offering sort of juicy deals to smaller teams like you know some other teams some other component manufacturers do it you just went all in with specialized is that fair to say and was that like you wanted like some one halo team that was going to get it done and everything else would come in its own time was that kind of the attitude I mean, it was a thing that we discussed together with specialized for many years since we had the product and there was more products coming in, in the pipeline so it basically was a strategic thing together with specialized that they wanted the boys to be racing with the same products that they were selling their bikes mm. so yeah and we worked for that i mean we did many tests and the very first test together with the gravity guys was straight after world 2016 yeah well the soul so it, was got, a, it was a busy pit the, the days after the wars, I can say. It was a lot of people. I actually heard it from Miranda, and she was saying that, because Troy left like last minute. Oh, yeah. And then she got like drafted into this oh, amazing set. Crazy she said story, it was like a dream. Man. It's like, like me and Dan Hugo, who was the boss of S Racing at the time, we were sitting there on the fence, and we had all these products. I mean, I had products with me for Troy. I had products with me for, because at that time, it was also Luca was on... Oh, yeah. talks to join the team but then he went to syndicate so we had all these products and it was only Finn 
and Loic there. Loris left for Syndicate as well, so he was out of the picture. And I said to Dan, hey, what about having a girl on the team? And he's like, yeah, that could maybe be a cool thing. And I said, I met this girl in Canada when I was there for Crankworks. I think his name were Miranda or something. Yeah. So, and I met her over the weekend. Can't you ask her if she wanted to test? And he's like, yeah. So he went and talked to her and he bought her a new flight ticket home and she stayed for a couple of days and tested as well. And then she joined the team for the year after. So yeah. It was pretty cool. And she won Worlds on top of it. Yeah. yeah. It worked out well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, it feels like sometimes, if we talk about that specialized bike, I don't know, it feels from a purely uh, a lover of the sport and a spectator of downhill. It feels like setups have changed in recent years. It used to be about how sort of harder forks you can put up with. Now, I mean, Lloyd seems to want his forks incredibly soft. He also goes incredibly fast. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But if it looks like it's more necessarily, I would say, it, from the outside, it looks to be more about chassis stability yeah. than it does about preserving geometry. Yeah. It is. Is that is that an ethos that Specialized have brought to you, or you've brought to Specialized, or I mean, how's it it's come something about? that, due to a lot of years of developing, and I mean, the boys are putting in a lot of work when it comes to testing and so on. And we are, uh, as a company in general, but especially on the mountain bike side, and we are a firm believer of wheel control. Uh, and to get the wheel control, you need a lot of damping. So you saying it looks soft. I mean, it may be soft spring-wise, but it's not soft oh, yes. damping-wise. Yeah. So that's a thing that we are trying to implement with all our racers. I mean, even on the Union or Commonsage Valbe and things like that. So, And in terms of, because you look at, and the same, same with Finn's bike as well. Yeah. If we think about, I mean, I was, I've got a lot softer in my setup recently to when I've done a lot more like telemetry testing. I've kind of got into, I've got this weird new hobby that I love. <laughs> um, it seems to embody at least the setup I'm on, regardless of brand to focus on the word suspension and suspended. Yeah. Like I'm trying to suspend my mass in a way that before I'd want something that was to be honest. Yeah. Like more about conserving front end height. Yeah. So I had something that I could always lean into, but now I've gone down the step where, yeah, to be honest, I'm running a lot more compression, yeah. way more compression, a lot less rebound and a softer spring rate. Yeah. Um, Finn's bike seems to work similarly well, just yeah. track across. And to be fair, you know, across the board, across all brands, you know, some of these bikes look like they're working better than ever. Um, how much sag do you think that they're, they're running? Because it, cause damping doesn't show up in, it might show up in dynamic sag, but like static yeah. sag, we're always told like 20% for the fork maybe, yeah. 30% for the shock. Depend a little bit on tracks, but uh, they're not running like crazy sags. I mean, it doesn't, it's like half the stroke is used just at sag point. They run fairly normal numbers, but it's just how they want the bike to behave. They want to have a lot of pressure on the front tire. It fits their riding styles and, and uh, body position. Um, so I'm not saying they're normal there. And also saying that, we were just discussing it yesterday. I mean, looking for on the bikes from the front, it looked kind of low, like what the people home in the couches see when they watch the TV. But if you look on the bike from 
decide yeah it's not that crazy yeah so i would say it's very well balanced but also if you have the thing that i'm learning more than anything is say if you want yeah 25 percent sag on a downhill fork it's 200 mil suddenly you can swallow holes that are 50 mil in depth yeah in a way that and on stepped like yeah. braking bumps yeah. the the tracking's quite quite impressive yeah in the last couple of years i mean especially since 2017 it really feels like the tracks have changed it feels like they've got a lot faster a lot faster and we're also seeing you know more you know we were just talking about it here, here monson and it feels like the number of wheel breakages and tire breakages yeah. is very high do you think it's easier to get a fork shock set up for these races on a track that is very fast and maybe rough compared to say the tracks of 10 years ago which were slower and techier yeah or the tracks of five years ago which were equally fast but maybe more bike parky yeah i mean we're talking about this track where we are right now in mont saint anne super fast on some sections and they're coming in really hot into the gnarly stuff way faster than they ever been so i mean it's quite hard to set up the bike you want to still have something that absorbing those high speed rocks uh, that you're gonna hit and at the same time you want to have that not plush but the comfort so you get have the traction and uh, grip that you wanted out of it as well so it's very hard to set up and it's easy that you maybe go too stiff because you want to have that support for some sections and then it's just when you're hitting into those rocks yeah maybe it's like yeah, it's hard. Then something have to give away, and normally it's the tires and wheels, unfortunately. Yeah, it will like the impact will kind of follow the path of least resistance to, exactly. to find its way. Exactly. Um, oftentimes, when we talk about comfort, the first thing that the rider looks towards, I think, is maybe because it's the most complex. Maybe sometimes one of the harder things to understand is suspension. Oh, it's it's this. It's it's giving me this. It's giving me the feedback in the hands and stuff. If Olin's were to have free reign and, and make a bike as you chose, yeah, what kind of things would you be want? Would you want like a really stiff frame and then soft wheels? Would you want a stiff wheel perhaps and then a flexier frame and you know be able to do it in the stroke? I think uh, a flexier frame when it comes to racing is not good. Then you will be us walking in circles and you will have issues and problems that you can't really put your finger on to uh, the riders that we have been working with and are working with they always prefer a stiffer frame and then fairly solid suspension and some is running stiff wheels some is running soft wheels and it, it's a lot to it so and if we think about the relationship between you know the frame so the sprung and the unsprung mass yeah so for, for those of you listening at home and wondering what the distinction is for instance the um the wheel is unsprung yeah the frame basically would, would be above it so the low is also unsprung there is an argument i suppose that a higher mass is harder to accelerate so more unsprung mass heavier wheels and things like this can actually make a bike feel like it's padding in certain elements better it's tracking better but then it maybe has more of an influence on our suspension would, would you say you want a lower unsprung mass, a higher unsprung mass? Is there a sweet spot, perhaps? No, I, I don't know. It's, it's got so much to it. I mean, mountain bike at the moment is very trendy when it comes to everybody 
have all sorts of different linkages and wheel ratio and wheel pattern and things like that and uh, different starting points and so on. But I think there's a thing that we missing out a little bit that we just touched based on is the flex. There's a lot of frames out there and manufacturers that have uncontrolled flex. And that's not something you can control. And that as a suspension manufacturer, that's the, your nightmare. We want to kind of control the whole movement, everything that's happening to the wheels. So that's something we realized over the years. The, it's always about the happy medium, of course. I mean, I can't really put my finger what the ideal one would be because it's a lot also up to riders and so on. So no, I, th- I think it's hard to say. Although it might be... Sand- you know, with, I think rear shocks can often come in for a hard time. I think we see it, especially with a good example would be the way that the Float X2 is specced from Fox by manufacturers as original equipment because they have a flexi frame and they're like, oh, well, well let's put the bigger shock in there. Then the shock then has to go through a huge amount of kind of torture as it's twisted. Uh, and then suddenly people blame the shock for breaking. It also means that there are certain setups which just won't work with the coil. Do you think, although it could be slightly... A slightly uglier solution. Is there no way that we could just have a really big rear shock with a coil inside and then a large shaft on the outside instead of the? Is there any way that we could package that? Because I think yeah. the sensitivity of coil is better yeah. for my mind. I mean, air shocks are getting pretty good, but I think for all that performance, a coil is better. And we do it with our forks. Is there any way that we could get a coil shock with just a bigger shaft so it can stand up to a bit more? bit more flex. I think it's not so much up to the just the shaft it's just I mean like you mentioned there is bikes out there that just a lot of, of the side loads is going into the shock it's living a hard life it kills a lot of shocks Um it's also interesting I think sorry to interrupt but I've spoken to manufacturers before they've been insistent they should win an air shock for the leverage ratio yeah and it's not been that and you've been like no, it's because, let's get this right, it's because if you put a core shock on it, it will kill the shock. Yeah, probably. And they're like, oh, no, no it's actually the, 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 natural, yeah. the natural rate of air. <laughs> yeah. like, come on now. No, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of buzz in the industry. It's not something that you maybe go public with, that you maybe have some issues and so on with your, on a bad bike design that have, is killing shocks. It doesn't really mat- matter what brand it is. We've seen it over the years and we still see it. And I mean, also, I think this trunnion mount that came out a couple of years ago was probably the, the dream for the engineers that were designing bikes. But I think for a suspension manufacturer, it's probably the worst thing that happened because the shock, how you mount it gets so rigid. So you have to take a lot of the flex somewhere else and normally it goes into the shaft and you might see a lot of wearing and tearing on it due to that. And also potentially less sensitivity due to oh, a binding yeah. force. Yeah. Um, when we think about how we build our frames and we see, you know, some quite complex designs with, you know, what, what does a brand like, well, a big suspension manufacturer want out of a, a rear end? If, in your world, we all have like, you know, Single pivots just to deal with something consistent. Do you want something regressive, progressive, or is it you can make anything? I mean, I I mean, we that as a company we have to look into everything since we not only have OE partners, we also have aftermarket program, and we 
I mean, it's not that we're trying every single bike out there. There's no chance then it will be like a 24-7 job. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we take the popular ones, we try them, we test them. And I mean, the best working bikes is the one that is, it has a good flex pattern in the frame design. It's nothing crazy on starter leverages and so on. And a fairly decent progression to it all doesn't need to be more complicated than that sometimes and that's very very popular bikes out there and i mean you can run it both coil and air depending on personal preferences maybe it's certain bikes are working better with air due to that design and so on and some bikes is working better with coil so but i mean if we talk downhill racing we will never ever race anything else than a coil shock mm. because you don't even sell coil no. shocks and it's like air shocks, air, in shock, yeah. air shocks in the downhill common lanes. Do you think sometimes though that the the high preload on an air shock, and sometimes it's compared to a coil, it's reluctance to break into the stroke initially. It can be less comfortable. It can give you less grips, but sometimes it can feel poppier and faster. Yeah. Do you think there's any argument to that, or do you think actually if you get your the level of damping right, then that should dictate the shaft speed even in the early part? Yeah, of the but there's also another thing to it, like. Now, with the, since we are believing in one way how we're setting up our product, it generates quite a, li- a lot of air, uh, heat. And an air shock would change, even though it's just only a three, four minute run, it will change. And that's something that the riders don't like. Mm. Um, if we think about, we go back to the, the relationship with specialized. Why is it that we can't see what's under Loic's bike? Because we, we care. We want. We know it's Oland. I presume it's Oland. Yeah. We know it's electronic. It's, it's got gonna, some electronic buttons. Yeah. But why can't we just see it? What's going on with that? No, it's like, I mean, even the old bike was covered up, right? Yeah, but we. So MSA, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen this bike. Oh, sorry. Yes, the old, the old, the old one. Up. The old demo was but also covered up, right? It feels like, I, I mean, is there a chance that that electronic lever just goes to an empty wire that's been cut and it goes into a box and creates some curiosity? No, there's more. I can, <laughs> I can tell you that it's more to it than that. <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, it's our second season now with that system that we're using with Loic. Hopefully, we can use it with more riders for next year. And uh, I think the plan is to have something in the future fairly soon that will benefit regular customers. And why doesn't Finn run it? It's due to a lot of things. I mean, one thing from our end has been, it's been a hard time to get the product in time to have the material, the bits and pieces. Uh, and there's also been under development and with Loic, with the experience and so on and the hierarchy within the team. Uh, we've always been doing like that. If we have something new, we're starting with Loic. It feels in some ways, both in terms of the idea of electronically controlled damper, and also the hierarchy, which I think is not necessarily, I think it's probably quite healthy in some ways for, yeah. for a team. It does feel very motorsport. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Jordan coming on and then still having obviously an amazing bike, but oh. on the non-prototype frame, and yeah, it feels yeah. tiered. I mean, to be honest with you, Finn started with a new bike oh, he before. Oh, first, yeah, true. Because due to injuries and so on last year, and uh, Finn switched halfway through last year season, and... Yeah, so he was a little bit ahead, and then Loic also want he doesn't want to do changes mid-season or anything, mm-hmm. whatever. That's why we are 
always start testing like the end of the year like we will start testing now in november with the team uh presenting new things new ideas and uh, so see if we work out some things will probably be better some things is maybe worse we don't know yet and when we think about testing you know miranda miller when she was on the podcast and spoke about this testing camp she did when you first came to specialized she said that loik was this amazing robot tester where you could just ride and just punch out these runs yeah how much relevance i'm not like bruni i will never ride a bike like Loic bruni i've tried a bit it yeah. doesn't work out yeah, yeah what relevance does the way that he tests have to do with the end consumer or is it a case of listen we're going to make the race best racing product and everything else will eventually fall in line and see a benefit yeah that's that's how we do it it's like we i mean his setup will be unrideable for you mm. Well, he's got yeah, the brakes the wrong way around for start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but the thing is, okay, if it works for him, we can drop down the levels to fit average Joe Blows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we work. That's how we've always been working at the Lean since 1976. What works on the racetrack, we implement it. Of course, different settings and so on, but one day it will benefit regular customers mm. and uh, we see a lot of things over the years that we started in racing and it have ended up for off the market or OE. and is what in your personal background are you from the motorsport side i'm from the motocross side motocross side basically born on a motocross track so seriously <laughs> <laughs> i had to, my old man had to put my mom in the car and no so <laughs> the police escorted us to the hospital <laughs> My uh, some family friends, something similar happened. Like went into labour, and basically, the midwife pre labour had told um, my parents' friend Jeremy, like yeah. you could be there for quite quite some time. So it's it's important that you go with some kind of snack, right? Yeah. And he took that so literally. And on the way to the hospital, he pulled into a petrol station to get a sandwich. <laughs> and Jane was just like, "What the hell are you doing?" And she could see him walking around this petrol. Yeah. There's a meal deal uh, on. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, that's- <laughs> So that uh, is a pretty cool story. I mean, and then my dad was one of the first one using the Orleans product as a motocross rider. And then, I mean, I started working there the first time when I was 10 years old, sitting wow. in production. It was different back then, of yeah. course. You sitting there and putting all rings on gas caps. And, and then uh, I've been back and forth. And then I started full time again in 99. Wow. And the next year we're celebrating 25 years. 25 years. years. Shit, man. How does the motor world compare to, you know, there are two kind of, I think, dangerous words in downhill mountain biking, Formula One and motocross, because it's the Formula One of, and I don't think necessarily it wants to be the Formula One, I think it's more characterful than that. I see a lot of common things how motocross used to be 20 years ago, Mm. in many ways, how it was crazy, all these new brands popping up everywhere, it was all different ideas and thoughts and thinking it was amazing it was a lot of money it was a healthy and uh, but then during the bad times all those things went away look at the bikes today motocross bikes they're very very similar even though it's different brands if you would run around with a tape measure you would be surprised how equal they are Mm. as far as fork angles and the differences there is the nowadays is the electronic and the motor characters and when you then come from that motocross world to mountain biking i think the mountain biking is it's like charmingly authentic in a way 
Yeah. I think that's what a lot of the romance is. And that's why, oh, yeah. for instance, people really get behind the privateer. That's why people don't want the field size cut. But it's funny because, the, and it's a very fair criticism, like if we want to make this a big sport, we need to be able to attract out of market, so out of industry sponsors. Yes. And they're going to want to know that if they're paying someone hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, that person's going to have a, be on the TV. Yeah. It's no good saying, oh, they basically, you know, twisted their ankle in the first round, didn't qualify for the second, and their whole season's ruined. No. But is that what, is that what we want? Would it be better? I mean, I can see what have happened to motocross. I mean, it's kind of sad nowadays you see 17 riders on the starting line. A motocross grid, starting grid should be 40 guys. I would hate to see coming to Monson then in the future and it's going to be 30 guys going down the hill. That would kill it. But would it... The problem is, I think that to solve, to make World Cup downhill a sort of a big industry, there's something that has to fundamentally change with the way that we approach national level racing to make it viable and to make it competitive, to make it exciting. And so suddenly we can give the infrastructure to World Cups, but it's an impossible task to basically satisfy. I know. I think. I think the the obvious change and the obvious fix is changing the way that World Cup racing to make it more professional. The less obvious, but the harder task is actually going to each national body and making sure there's grassroots racing. Yeah. For that sixty-first rider has a good place to race and develop their skills. Yeah. I think in some ways it'd be cooler to have a um, to have like two-tiered World Cup system. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I see what you're saying and I totally agree because, I mean, first of all, everything begins with a healthy national level. If you have a healthy national level, some of those teams, as of now, will also do World Cups. And and I mean, it's it's hard, man. How are you going to balance that all? Are we going to make the IXS races more important? Should that be something that you have to graduate, graduate, graduate from? Like Formula 2 or whatever. Yeah, like you have in Supercross, you have to do the arena cross first and things like that. Or if you don't have a X amount of points, you're not allowed to go there and so on. So I, I don't know, man. Because, I mean, at the same time, like you're saying, it's a beauty. People is coming here to work out of the car and the whole family is involved and sending the kid down the hill and I mean for just that kid to qualify is like a win you know you see all these happy faces and I mean it's tough it's tough to find that balance and uh, to satisfy everybody and grow the sport and in a healthy way it's really difficult and speaking of kind of growing the sport and going into new areas you've recently started supporting cross-country teams and you're just saying you had your first short track win we had our first short track win in earlier this season in Leo Gang with yeah. Jordan Saru, and uh, last weekend we had our first XEO win with Jordan again. So it's been an amazing year, to be honest. We and at the same time we were kind of aiming high again, coming into something new, like we did with Specialized Gravity for 17, 2017. We made a decision internally. Uh, okay, let's go for top team, and uh, we started negotiating with BMC last year and we closed the deal in Lichet last year, a handshake. And since then we worked really close with them and uh, developed our products and so on. With downhill, we're seeing telemetry testing. We're seeing so much tech. We don't at least see as much of that at the races. Is that happening behind the scenes? Is there 
like that level of because sometimes it feels like XC is more about maybe from an outside it seems more about rider feel it seems more about putting up with things like oh you want to, have to be really efficient you know yeah but I think that's changed quite a bit I mean look at where XE is now there's like 120 bikes it's 2.3 tires and 2.4 it's kind of cool yeah yeah it's crazy if someone would have said that two three years ago they would have laughed at you but now it's like because the track is getting faster and gnarlier, deeper, crazier kind of thing. So putting more, it's not the same weight also demands, like people can, it's okay with a couple of hundred grams more heavier if you get more performance out of the bike. Because we measured that so many times on both with instruments and clock watch, stuff watches and so on, like, just because it's solid doesn't necessarily it's more efficient and faster. Um, and talking about going into kind of, you know, new areas and new markets, when we look at the way the industry is shaped, OE deals, so original equipment deals, are super important. Um, SRAM basically has a, can offer frame manufacturers a really great deal, right? Because you go in, you can basically do brakes, forks, shock, yeah. drivetrain, even wheels. They do trivative stuff for whole, seat price, everything. How does Olin's fit within that? And originally, I remember you having this sort of like, maybe even exclusive OE deal with Specialized initially. Yeah, we had that for many years initially. But was that quite a quite an intimidating thing, stepping up? Was that a big ramp up in production? And, and how does it factor now? Like, As of when that exclusivity stopped, uh, we approached different OEs and we got a got off like to a great start to be honest uh, not everybody wanted fox and rock shock they wanted to have a third player within their bike ranges and start working and we came in with a little bit different approach maybe like not so much uh, was looking in a lot to the performance side because that's very important for us and uh, yeah so so far it's been going really well we have great partners and, well, getting new ones all the time. Not all the time, but uh, yeah, we have a great, great deal there going on. It seems like there's some real marriages of, or some genuine marriages of convenience and sometimes more play. Like, you know, you see a lot of Fox bikes come with race face wheels, for instance, because they're all part of the same, the same group. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Shimano plays into Fox very nicely because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've noticed, am I right in thinking that Olin's is largely manufactured in Taiwan? Yeah, we are uh, producing everything in Taiwan now for mountain bike. And I know it seems maybe quite gossipy, but I've noticed obviously TRP are ramping up their drivetrains. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we've seen teams like the Union and things like this when Olin's and TRP. Is that another potential marriage of convenience? And is that something that we could expect to see in coming years? Uh, we we uh, we're trying to be as independent as we can because we want to be kind of standalone. We should be able to be fit in with uh, everything and anything kind of thing, depending on what the our customer wants. So uh, it's not been too bad, to be honest with you. It's like uh, it seems like okay for the product managers when they're choosing the setups and so on. They look at the whole range and. Some will be fitted full on with Fox and maybe an Orleans with the Ram drivetrain and so on. So no, it's it's been working pretty good. And, and when we look at the way that 
OE bikes are spec'd. When we review bikes, some of the times, probably, I mean, maybe it's maybe 20%, so one in five of the bikes we get in, one of our main criticisms is the shock tune's wrong. Yeah. Um, this isn't something that's like, it's wrong. For me, we tend to be able to say, if you're this style of rider, if you ride at this speed, it simply just hasn't got enough compression damping, or, or there's this harshness to it, yada, yada, yada. How much guidance does a, I know that I'm sure there are OE testing camps. Yeah. How much guidance are you able to give a brand? And when it does come out, like all the, the damping's wrong on the shot, who, who takes the brunt for that? Is it like a I mean, it's, it's the product manager's responsibility. We basically put up a smorgasbord to it and they can pick and choose whatever. We come with suggestions, what we think. And normally we send out initial samples to them, what we think once we have got the leverage ratios and anti-squat and all that from them. And then we send it out to a proposal. And uh, very often that's what they're choosing. But sometimes they want to have lighter compression, more compression, lighter rebound, more rebound, depending a little bit. But it's they have the final call. I mean, they are the customers. Essentially, yeah. So, and the customer's always right. Absolutely. <laughs> Even though uh, there's been some argument over the years, but mm. uh, very often they get what they want. Because I think it's funny, people can often say you did have a fork and shock from a particular brand. This fork's amazing. Oh man, it does just what I want, yada, yada, yada. But the shock on my, the shock's not good. But actually they're talking, sometimes people are talking about the tune. Like, and we even did shock week and it's actually, you know, we're largely dealing with shaft speed, right? And if the compression and the rebound circuit are putting the shaft speeds in a certain, certain window, yeah, you know what I mean? No. It's hard. And a lot of people is maybe also experience things wrong. No, they maybe haven't experienced things, but they think one thing, but it could be actually the solution would be to go the other way. Mm. Like, oh, I'm uh, always, my bike is kicking me. I'm getting bucked all the time. You know, I want to have slow rebound. Uh, but it's actually, you need more compression because you're using the fold stroke the whole time. Do you want to spring back to you? Maybe you have it too soft of a front end. Mm. You will stiffen up the front a little bit. That will also help your rear. It's a, it's a, always about balance and playing it right and uh, do the right thing. I think it's one of those, it's like, you know, when you build a wheel yeah. and you only work on the spoke that's the most out of true. Yeah. I think that's what setting up a bike's like. You accept that you still have to spin the wheel again and you're just going to have another one that's the worst one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think... Um, no, and then another thing that we've been fighting quite a lot and we, we now maybe see some light in the tunnel is to set up our product because it's a little bit differently, especially if we talk about the front, front fork, the way how you work with the two compression chambers and, and so on. So while on competitors, you use tokens. Oh, the air chambers. Side, yeah, yeah, the air chambers. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it have taken a lot of years, but we feel it's very simple, more simple than undo a top cap and put tokens in here. You can, we can do it from the outside with a shock pump. I think that I agree that it is, I think once you understand it yeah, and you understand the empirical, you have the empirical experience of actually feeling different things. Yeah. It's easy, but I think the problem with, so for those that listen at home, basically, you have two chambers and you tend to run, say, the main chamber at, say, 100, 100 PSI and then yeah. you'd run 200 PSI in the ramp up. The yeah. idea being that once that main chamber reaches, it halves in size, it goes to 200 PSI or whatever, and then it compresses. The problem is with these systems is that once you know how they work, they're very adjustable. Very and adjustable. Very, very good. I think 
you know, you see it in the these across brands, you know, similar, similar manner to. Sometimes it can, can be a bit, in my mind, counterintuitive because if you go harder in the ramp up, it then means that it comes on later in the stroke. So then it can yeah. actually mean that you get less mid-stroke support yeah. and then you ride deeper in the, so you're going up in pressure, but you're getting less. Yeah. And so you have to, it's, it, it just requires a different understanding. Yeah, it does. And um, I mean, we tried with everything with YouTube channels and uh, Instagram and trying to promote it. And like you said, once you start figuring out, it's very tunable. Mm. It's very tunable. I think the most important things with, in my experience, with bike testing, I've learned more about when I've got things wrong than when I've got things right. Oh yeah, 100%. and going to extremes has been the most healthy thing for me. Even with things like so arbitrary, like. And another thing was when we came with a TTX twenty two M. The target was for us was simplicity. Uh, we only have six rebound clicks, three high speed compression, and twelve low speed. I think it is. And we got a lot of critics for that, but now finally people start to really appreciate it. Simple, you have six usable rebound clicks. Mm. So, and three usable high-speed compression clicks. I, I think the way that you approach high-speed compression is very interesting because it really, so one, the less amount of um, yeah. compression damping, three being the most. I think it's quite interesting because it feels like you have three distinct and usable modes. Instead of clicks that you leave, you change it more often. Now, what I would like to see in, for instance, I would say Scott persists with this remote lockout thing. Yeah. But I think they actually have it the wrong way around. As an example, I would say that you should have your climbing mode, which is mode one, with the less, the least amount of damping. Yeah. This is for the most amount of grip at lower speeds. Um, so then you could get better tracking. Then you should have descending mode, which is two. And then you have lockout mode, which is three. And that's how I kind of actually ride my bike. Um, but I think we have such a, a confused mindset sometimes in, in the bike industry where efficiency in climbing <laughs> yeah. is always the most locked off. And I would actually say that grip is something <laughs> like, if you had a four by four car and it's like big four by four off-road truck that's lifted. Yeah. It's like, sweet, so when you go off-road, what do you do? You lock out the suspension, but that's why you have the suspension, yeah. surely. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, it's weird. So... Yeah, it's like they have that descend mode and like everything is opening up. But if you go like some deep tracks, you want to have some support still, right? Mm, yeah, so it's, it's I, a bit, I, bit That's something we have discussed quite a lot in-house coming from the motocross world or motorsport world. It's, it's just weird. But. It is weird. But also I think that so much about mountain bikes is maybe the enduro category. I mean, they got so much better and bikes are getting really cool but it still feels like there's a bit of hang up from the expectations of how road bike pedals. Yeah. These are mountain bikes. They're meant to ride off road. I don't care. Don't tell me your bike pedals amazing on a tarmac road. I don't <laughs> care. Like, no, exactly. It's just absolute, to me it's, it's nonsense. Yeah, it's and the crazy. thought of having a remote lockout. It's crazy. With a bike that has high, this isn't just a Scott thing. This has happened in other areas of the industry as well, but a really high value anti-squat. Yeah. Paired to, a, a lockout system which gets firmer either through restricting an orifice or through diverting oil. Like, what? Like, no, this is this is entirely backwards. I'd much rather bike with lower rises of anti sorry, lower value of anti rise. Yeah. Sorry, anti squat. Anti squat. So it's happy to break into a stroke under pedaling. Yeah. And then you can, that's what, that's what we've got the external adjustment for. Yeah. That's when we can tune it out. But hey, 
it all seems about backwards yeah, to me. Yeah, it's crazy. No, yeah. but it's like, when it comes to adjusters, because that was something, the first thing, when we started working with gravity, oh, we need more clicks. We need more adjustment range. So it took a, probably a, a year or so, but once they got used to it, I mean, even Jack and Kevin accepted it. This is great. Those are the specialized mechanics. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, they, and it's like, they never come back and like wanted more of anything. So, mm. so that's, we can tell the public as well. Loic and Finn is having the same amount of clicks as everybody home and in the same adjusters. Well, and that's it. I mean, I've heard a rumor, which you probably, I don't know how uh, close to the truth it is, but they were like, say, the tracks are graded in different ways and then you have different dampers or different tunes to support the grading. How, it's obviously good for them. Um, how much of what they do is relevant to the Con- consumer. I mean, consumer for me I would say it's just about getting in the right bandwidth of I tune. I would say everything started off to get the right springs which means you're running coil get the right coil spring your correct rate and if you're running air fork yeah get your numbers right when it comes to get the balance of the bike and then you have the clickers I mean don't be afraid to use them mm. if you're getting like you see a tendency that you get maxed out in either way, maybe fully open, fully closed, I don't know. And that's where you're running most of your time. Go and see a service center because with the Olin's products, we have these setting banks. Mm. The service, if there's an authorized service center, they have that. You come in, I'm running my clicks always fully open. Then he can easily help you out or she can help mm. you out. Go in, see where you are at. There's a part number on the shock. He knows exactly what's in there, and then he can go in the direction you need. Do it and done. Done. Because I imagine your your local airport must be deeply confused about what you do. Because all these springs you must take out of Sweden in your hand luggage. <laughs> what what is this guy doing? <laughs> like he's just taking six springs to North America. Oh, like man. your hand luggage must be like a pair of pants, two pairs of socks, and nine oh, springs. I've been carrying <laughs> so much stuff over the years. We're we talking about. Containers, probably, if I would count it all <laughs> up. So, and then for racing, is even worse because this we're using in between rates as well. Mm. So it's not only a four hundred and four fifty. We have something in between as well. Yeah, which so. I think can be how kind of as, as we close this off. Manufacturing tolerances on springs can often be quite. I've heard some springs quote as much as ten percent. Yeah, I mean the increment differences say between a five hundred and five twenty five pound spring. Now I'm no expert, but I would say that that's a more than a 10% swing. Yeah. So how, how, how no, controlled and toler- tight, tight the tolerance is? It's quite tight, to be honest. Our springs are great, and that's something that maybe not a whole lot of people know about, but the spring technology the last couple of years has moved forward rapidly. Uh, look at a spring now compared to three, four years ago. I mean, it's optimized for the length. It's... Uh, if you look on our spring range, depending on rate, it's different lengths to it. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's improved massively, I have to say. Weight-wise, there's no one using titanium springs anymore because probably the steel one is lighter. Mm. So they're very accurate in rates. So there's no going harder, but it going softer. No, 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 yeah. no. So I have to say it's really, really cool, actually. Amazing. Well, 
Thank you very much for your time today, man. Thanks, I man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to seeing the trails or the tra uh, races in the future. I'm looking forward to you introducing me to Loic and getting me to have his bike. Yeah, yeah, We'll yeah. swap those brakes. We'll Maybe we should organise that one day. <laughs> that would be cool for you to actually run his setup. I would love to, I would think that'd be so cool doing like, after World Cup, hang around for a couple of days yeah. and just swap the brakes and yeah. just have cool. at it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. We should... Um, Organize that for the future. Cool. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll pencil it in. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks man. man.